You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Good morning. Our scripture we'll be going over this morning is found in Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 19. This is quite a lengthy passage, and despite it being 19 verses, we'll be out of here reasonably around lunch. Each one of these verses, in fact, could be a sermon, and we're not going to say everything that can be said about each verse. What we're going to take is a snapshot of these 19 verses and apply it to our Christian life. Now, I use the word snapshot, and I want you to think back in, uh, in your life, think in all your possessions. And do you have a favorite picture, a favorite photograph that was taken of you? You don't have to say it out loud, but just think about it. Everyone's got that picture that you think just captures you. It's you. It says something about you that you just think everyone else, or maybe you don't think everyone else should know some of these people, but you think it captures something about you essential and vital to define who you are. And so think back, what is your favorite picture of yourself? I had a picture for a while when I lived in Mariana, Florida, of me uh, dropping off a rope swing into the Chipola River. And it looked really cool. It looked cooler than it was. It's one of those pictures where it was just the right moment, and I thought it was cool. I wanted everyone to see it. I thought at that point in my life, in my early 20s, that captured both the stupidity and the thrill-seeking nature that I wanted everyone else to know about. It was a good picture. When I was a child, there's a picture of me in some fake buckskins like Davy Crockett with a Lego bucket on my head, and that captured something about me that I look back and just say, that defined circa 1988-1989 Joshua Manning better than anything else. Maybe you have a picture like that. Now, sometimes we try to force it. We try to make a picture say more than it should. I think of some well-meant but ill-performed senior portraits. Anyone in here remember your senior portraits? I hear some laughing. Mine never miraculously made it home to be purchased by my mother, and there was a good reason for that. It looked like my face had been drug across East Tennessee the week before. I don't think I'd had a proper bath in about a week and a half. I'd just come back from vacation without a haircut, without shaving, and uh, sat down for senior pictures, and those, those were not getting purchased. But you've seen senior pictures that try to say too much. You've seen the ones of the lady in a formal gown on roller skates holding a football with a 
violin in the other hand, trying to capture her essential nature for her senior portraits. And they don't work. They're not natural. They're not natural. A good picture, a good snapshot is natural. And so what Romans 1, or sorry, what Romans 8, 1 through 19 does is it naturally shows us a snapshot of the Christian life. And we're going to be looking at five specific components of that in this snapshot so that we can go away from here with just a big imprint in our head. What is a Christian? So let's start marching through this chapter verse by verse. Now, we're going to start by talking about the first essential element in this snapshot. And that is that a Christian has new freedom. A Christian has new freedom. And I find that in verses 1 to 4. Look with me and read with me in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Paul starts, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. A Christian has new freedom. Now, where do we get that from these four verses? We have to ask what we mean by freedom. First, when we are born as natural humans in this world, the book of Romans starts in chapter 1 and says that we are under God's displeasure and wrath. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 18, it says that that wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all of our sin. So as we live and grow and mature, that sin never matures out of us. As we age, we become cognizant and aware more and more that there is this relationship we have with some other entity that produces shame, guilt, and at times foreboding in us. We can function day to day without this. We learn coping mechanisms. We learn hobbies. We entertain ourselves. But sometimes falling asleep right on the edge of a dream, it creeps back in. The Bible says that this wrath, this sense of injustice is communicated by God to us. When we begin to pick it up, usually in our teenage years, early adult years, one of the things we often do is we try to make ourselves make it right. We get a value system. This is why college students are so zealous for whatever ideology is floating around a college campus at that time that tells them, this is why you feel the way you do. You think back to a lot of the history of the 20th century, various ideologies causing wars, causing civil wars, causing 
massive upheavals, and a lot of those movements started in college students. This sense of injustice, this sense of guilt that they have internalized gets pointed out at some type of enemy, whether it's communism telling them that uh, big capital is keeping them from true peace, or whether in this day it's critical race theory. There's always something to tell a person, it's not your fault, it's somebody else's fault. Turn your anger outward. But the Bible wouldn't have us do that. The Bible would have us look inside and see that the problem with society starts in your own heart. Because of your sin, because of your fallenness as a human, all other dysfunctions in human society grow and fester and multiply. Now, where does this new freedom come from? Well, the Bible tells us in verse 1 of Romans chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know he's finishing a thought. He started back even in Romans 5.1. Turn back to Romans 5.1. Where Paul, dealing with this idea of the universal human sinfulness that I just talked about, says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In 8.1, when we see that we have no condemnation, that's what Paul is drawing from. We are free from the guilt and shame that God has been communicating from our birth to us when we are a Christian. Now, you may still remember things you did and not feel proud about it. You may still deal with some of the consequences of your sin. But before God, you are innocent by faith in Christ. You have freedom, free from the wrath of God, free from His judgment, and free from His displeasure. And this is all based on Christ. Like we have said in our Pilgrim's Progress podcast, for those of you who have watched it, there was a point where, Pilgr- where Christian uh, was walking uphill with a heavy pack on his back, and when he got near the tomb, the pack rolls off his back into the tomb, and he doesn't carry it anymore. As a Christian, we have been loosed of that burden. So stop trying to earn favor with God. You're not going to earn it. You can't do a better job than Christ already did. He took care of it. You are free. You are accepted. You are beloved. So first, a Christian has new freedom. But it's not a freedom from good and evil. It's not a freedom from doing what's right. It's not a freedom from fighting sin. What is it a freedom from? From the wrath of God. This brings us to the second point, And it's found in verses 5 to 10. A Christian has new values. You have freedom. But you have new values. Look with me in verse 5. Paul continues, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
those who are in the flesh, cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. As a Christian, you have new values. Here's what this means. God's Spirit renews your moral compass. God's Spirit becomes the true north in your value system. There's no other explanation for how violent, greedy, drunken, lecherous, etc., etc., etc. People overnight change their fundamental nature after salvation. That doesn't mean all your sins and temptations go away. Y'all know that. But you can't account for how the entire value system of people will change after salvation. One of the biggest indicators to my mom that I had been saved was I went from avoiding and despising her to being friends with her overnight. She thought something was wrong. I'd, I'd been saved. I didn't quite know what had happened yet either. There's no other account for that except that the Spirit of God renews and transforms a Christian's value system. You don't define your right and wrong anymore. You might have thought you did before you were saved. You know you didn't. But now God's Word by His Spirit defines that right and wrong for us. Sometimes we read verses 5 through 10 when it talks about flesh and spirit and we talk uh, in a way that's, that's not what Paul means in this passage. I want to give you a warning against it. We'll say, well, if you walk in the flesh, that means you walk dominated by your fleshly desires. Kind of like, I've got a really good friend who's a Pentecostal uh, preacher. We used to work together and he'd lose his temper and he'd say, sorry, sorry, you've got to forgive me. I just got in the flesh for a minute. You, you've probably heard people say that before. I just got in the flesh. And, that, and that's true. People do get in the flesh. But what Paul is talking about in chapter 8 is not walking in anger versus walking in forgiveness. He's talking about, is your mind dominated by the flesh and the sinful way of living of all lost humanity? Or is it filled and renewed by the Spirit? Are you born again and renewed by the Spirit to walk after His wishes and impulses in your life? And Christians are in the Spirit even when you stub your toe and you say a word you shouldn't, you're still in the realm of the Spirit. This is important because it says, if you don't have the Spirit, what? You don't belong to God. A Christian has new values because we have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. That means when we start growing in our faith, it's not new effort on your part. You don't just summon up a bunch of willpower and say, all of a sudden, I'm going to try really hard today and I'm going to not sin. Good luck with that. Tell me how that goes for you. Every time I've tried it, there's plenty of proof of that in my life. It's not new effort on your part. It's outside resources. The Spirit will help you obey what God wants you to obey. It's a new animating 
principle within a person. Now you can, you can partner with the Spirit in this. This doesn't mean you're passive just sitting back going, I'm going to let go and let God not cuss. I'm going to let go and let God not get angry when I get cut off in traffic. It's, it's not motionless on your part. You know, the Word and the Spirit in your life grow you. And when you intake God's Word, God's Spirit applies that Word to every situation you're in. And when you do not intake that Word, but intake garbage, of which culturally we all appropriate quite enough of through various media forms, when you take this garbage in, guess what you get? Garbage out. So there is a responsibility you have to intake God's Word, fill your mind with the things of God, fellowship with God's people. But it's not that you get up in the morning and try harder and you just barely eke out holiness. God's Spirit is in you both to give you the compass pointing north and the energy to get north. So we see that a Christian has new freedom. We see that a Christian has new values. Third, a Christian has a new purpose. A Christian has a new purpose. This is my favorite point of the sermon, by the way, all right? So just beware. If you look in verse 10 to 11, we saw, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, now we, that doesn't mean physically dead, that means our body still runs off the law of sin and death, like Paul says in Romans chapter 7, our appetites and our functions still have to deal with this world and with the inputs and outputs of it. But look, in in verse 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Once again, not just talking about physical death. All of us are going to encounter that unless the Lord returns. It's talking about spiritual death. If you live according to the flesh, a life dominated by the flesh, unsaved, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Let's take a minute to unpack that. There's a lot going on. Not every passage in there is going to be explained by this, but I'm going to try to explain just this block. A Christian has a new purpose in life. And I'm going to say it in a weird way here. Your, your, your purpose as a Christian is not to find yourself. I know society makes a really big deal about just find yourself and be true to yourself. I found Josh Manning. I don't like him. I don't want to be him. I want to be who God wants me to be, not who I want to be. And you don't want to find yourself either. Your purpose in life now is not to find yourself. It's to put off yourself and put on Christ. When he says, put to death the deeds of the body, I think it's kind of important we talk about what the deeds of the body are he's talking about. Flip over to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. 
Galatians chapter 5. When I say you don't want to find yourself, I don't mean you don't want to find your interests. You don't want to find the things that God has given you an affinity for. You don't want to find uh, what you enjoy. There, there's something below that you don't want to find, and it's found in Galatians five nineteen. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. The works of the flesh He's not just talking about your physical body. He's talking about your mindset dominated by the lost world of the flesh, the the unsaved realm. And he says, the lusts of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension. He, He keeps going through this big list of sins, and he says, this is what lives in your human nature apart from God. And you don't want to find it. You don't want that stuff to come out. As Paul says earlier in Romans, you don't want to give your members over to it. You don't want to lay up provision for it. It will wage war against you. But he goes on in verse 22, and he mentions the fruit of the Spirit over against it. For every one of those works of the flesh, there is a fruit of the Spirit. And look, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's talk about your new purpose. Your new purpose as a Christian is to put to death the deeds of the body And put on the works and the fruit of the Spirit. Now that sounds, at first, a little boring maybe. Maybe you just see it from certain eyes and you say, that means no dancing, no gambling, no bad movies, no egging cars. Go on, you know, whatever is fun and not profitable. And that's what you're thinking about. I'm not talking about that. You shouldn't egg cars, by the way. I'm not talking about being a monk and sitting in a desert and reading books all day. What I'm talking about is by the Spirit in your life, put to death these type of deeds of the body. You ready? Fix the broken relationships You shattered in your selfishness before Christ. Dig your family out of debt you foolishly entered because you were more interested in getting stuff to fill the vacuum in your soul than letting God fill that. Sober up. Stop wasting your money on drugs and alcohol. Stop living for that and live a sober, clear life. Fight the anxiety and depression that has kept you bound for years and dysfunctional in certain parts of life. Repair generations, yes, generations of fleshly instability you might have inherited from your parents. 
Those are the deeds of the body you should kill. When, when we talk about the Spirit giving you new life, we're not talking about you just sitting in a church like a spectator week in and week out, critiquing the order of the service and saying, well, they sung that verse too many times. We come here to refit, rearm, and go back out and fight the deeds of the body. I'm not trying to Christianize our history. This country, like many other countries, is a mixture of the influence of Christians and non-Christians. It is not the kingdom of God, but it has been influenced by the kingdom of God. But this country grew great because generations fought the deeds of the flesh in their life and in society's life and built something up that human nature would never have been able to accomplish on its own. That is what we are called to, to build, to make disciples, to evangelize. Evangelize those people who used to lead you astray. Break generations of their sins. Rewrite their family history through the gospel. Bring them into the family of God. That is our new purpose. And I kind of spoiled the next point. Point four, besides having new freedom, new values, a new purpose, as a Christian, you have a new family. As a Christian, you have a new family. Verse 15 and 16, look with me. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you realize, as a Christian, you have a new family? That's part of why we're here today. Now, you have to think of it in a sense in which it's not fully complete yet, you still have your birth family. The old is not gone. It's just been renewed. You've been adopted. You have a story that started in the human race under Adam, under your particular tree of Adam. And at some point, God intersected your life and moved you into a new branch of the human race in Christ. Paul talks about that earlier in Romans. And here we see that this this word adoption is used to talk about that God has legally put you in his family with all relationships, natural relationships, and spiritual contained in it. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. One of those is marriage where you get, as a woman, a new last name. You as a Christian have a new last name. But there's a bit of a a small town story I want to tell that kind of shows the peculiarities of this adoption and this new family. And in a small town near here, there was a house that had been built a long time ago. It was a very, uh, very large house on a lake. 
and it was in the historical register, and it was named uh, the blank house after the family that had built it originally. And after some time, it fell out of possession of that family. They lost possession of it, and an outsider moved in from another region and bought it and renovated it and renamed it in the historical register the new family name house. And oh, the uproar that resulted in that small town over that house being renamed. But because the deed had transferred to the new owner, the name could be whatever he wanted it to be called. That's how your life is now as a Christian. On the outside, you look like the same old house. On the inside, there's some serious renovation going on. But guess what? You've got a new name. The old family might still whine and complain and say, nope, this is still our house. But guess who holds the deed right now? God holds the deed and he calls you what you're going to be. You have transferred into a new domain. You've transferred into a new family. You are under new ownership. There's a story told about Augustine, the early Christian theologian and preacher, was walking down the street one day, and a woman who used to have a relationship with him ran after him and said, Augustine, Augustine, it is I, it is I. And he wouldn't turn back, but he responded to her and said, but it is not I. You are not you anymore. You belong to God. Last but not least, you as a Christian have a new destination. You have a new destination. You have a new freedom. You have new values, new purpose. You have a new family, and you have a new destination. Verses 17 through 19, read with me. And if children, then heirs. Oh, it gets better. You're not just adopted. You're legally in the family now. Heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified, also be glorified with him. Then he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us, to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. You have a new destination as a Christian. You were born here, but Ephesians 2.6 says you're already located there. Wade preached that last year, and the Bible says that we are already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. None of us even understand what that fully means yet, but you are already seated up there. We're born here, we're located there. The Bible calls our possession a better country in Hebrews eleven sixteen. A better country than even this awaits us. And in Philippians three twenty, Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven now. You got to think of it this way if there was no heaven, if there was no heaven, that means every injustice, 
every slight, every wrong, every lost second, every lost dollar, anything bad that ever happened to you your entire life would be an eternal problem. But because of heaven, we have a promise from God that whatever difficulties we experience here, we will be repaid. As Paul says, what we just read, the, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You have, because of your status in Christ, everything you could ever want down here waiting for you up there. Everything you might lose for Him to put to death the deeds of the body on earth, waiting for you better, unspoiled, untainted by sin up there. And whatever difficulties you encounter living for Him, being a part of His family, having this new moral compass that puts you at odds with the world, He has something for you up there waiting that will remove all the pain of this present suffering. So, for this new year, just remember the snapshot of a Christian. You have new freedom in Christ. Your guilt is gone. New values. God's Spirit points us north. A new purpose to put to death the deeds of the body. A new family, all of us in here and more. And a new destination when this life is over. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.